We are beginning a new series tonight. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians, and hopefully you've been enjoying our studies of the epistles. Stay with us tonight as we are going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapters 1 through 4. Welcome tonight to our Bible study. On behalf of our senior pastor, the Reverend Paul G. Kiggins in the Master's House, we're so glad that you tuned in with us. Of course, we welcome our special guest host, our youth director, Corey. It's good to have him there. And I just want to give a, a good shout out to our video and audio lighting departments. They, they come down here and they set all this up for us, and we appreciate all the time and efforts they put in. If you appreciate the job they're doing, hit that like button. Tell them how much you appreciate them because I know it, we wouldn't make this wouldn't be possible without them. But we're going to uh, continue or begin this new Bible study tonight on 1 Corinthians. But before we get started, we like to go before the Lord in prayer, asking God's blessing over our study and the entire series of the study of this uh, epistle. So we'd like to ask Corey if he would to take us before the Lord in prayer. Please send us your prayer requests at prayer at mastershouse.org and we'll take those needs before the Lord with you. And Corey, would you take us before the Lord? Lord Jesus, we thank you, Master Lord, for Lord, for, for providing this time, oh Lord. Lord, setting it aside that we might come together, Lord, that we might Lord, open your word, dear Jesus, that we might read those words, Lord, that we might let them enter into our hearts, Lord, into our minds, oh Lord, that we might take them into our lives, dear Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts, Lord, to your truth, oh Lord, that your spirit, oh Lord, would make alive these words and these truths, oh Lord, tonight, dear Jesus, and that, <clears throat> Lord, that your perfect will would be made manifest this night, oh Lord, and that your perfect word would go forth, dear Jesus. We just thank you, we praise you, oh Lord, this night, Lord, and pray that thy perfect will be done. In your most precious and holy name, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. So 1 Corinthians, this is a letter written by Paul. Uh, He's actually in, this, in the city of Ephesus when he writes this letter during his third missionary journey. And uh, this is actually, uh, the, this First Corinthians could possibly be the second letter that Paul sent to the church at Corinth because uh, First Corinthians 5 and 9 says, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. Uh, so Paul is referencing a letter that has already been sent, uh, but there is no copy of this letter. So that's, that is kind of interesting. So first possible second Corinthians that we're, <laughs> we're going to look at tonight. But yeah. Obviously, uh, he, he could have written several letters that have been lost and, and not recovered. But let's get into this tonight. First mm -hmm. Corinthians. Uh, Corinthians was located between the Aegean... Aegean, I'm probably going to say that right, Aegean and Adriatic Seas. Uh, it was a port city, obviously. It was wealthy, heavy with trade. Uh, lots of sailors coming in and out of the town. So there's some hedonism going on in the mm -hmm. port city. Lots of uh, paganism, pagan worship and everything going on there. So uh, obviously this church could uh, need some help. Uh, but this is Paul. He receives a report uh, that there's some issues going on in the Corinthian church. Uh, verbal report from uh, the household of Chloe. He also uh, receives a letter basically asking, you know, what Paul's judgment on are certain matters that are taking place in the church. So this church it was established by Paul, and basically in the introduction, he is calling them as saints to that were confirmed by the testimony of Jesus Christ, uh, encouraging them, hey, wait for the coming of Jesus Christ and for them to be blameless until such time as the Lord returns. Yeah, and Paul then gets right to it and uh, just... 
basically saying, look, there should be no division found among them and that they should have the same mind and be within the same judgment uh, as a unit. So Paul was told there are some uh, factions that had formed in the church, um, which was actually beginning to fracture the congregation. And these divisions were those that were supportive of Paul, Apollos, or Cephas, or Peter. And so in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter and 12th verse, it says, Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I of Christ. So we have Paul, uh, who he was the founder of the church. Then we have Apollos, uh, he was uh, very eloquent in his presentation and as far as his uh, his learning and how you know knowledgeable he was. And then we have Cephas or Peter. Um, he was an original apostle, and he also could have been supported by Jewish traditionalists. Whereas those that held the position "I am of Christ" uh, could represent those who maybe had an attitude of spiritual superiority, or it could also just simply be Paul defining his own position, stating "I of Christ." So this is going beyond uh, simple preferences of style or technique or opinion or anything. It's actually very carnal that this uh, church was forming these groups and were arguing, hey, this teacher is better than that, and which, and it was getting so uh, involved that it was actually very confrontational, and it was possibly even going to lead to a split of this congregation. Uh, this was very unhealthy attachment that these different groups had towards these different personalities, and you were, were grasping onto opinions of these personalities. It, Paul... He, he starts to get a little bit sarcastic as he continues to address this issue um, when he begins to speak to a baptism in 1 Corinthians 1 and 13. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? Now, the Corinthian church was fully aware that baptism is in the name of Jesus. So by doing this, Paul is pointing out just how far this division had come. And he reiterates that the foundation of the church is Jesus Christ, not the various individuals. Yeah, you can go so far as to say, I'm glad I only baptized a couple of you guys. I'm glad I didn't <laughs> baptize a lot of people. And so uh, it, it should be considered... Foolishness is what Paul begins to uh, speak, and he addresses how the, the wisdom of the world has kind of worked its way into the church, and this worldly thinking is foolishness, and how God's wisdom is greater than man's. In the 19th verse, it says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So God chose the preaching as a platform to express the wisdom of God. Basically, preaching in and of itself is not foolish. It's the content uh, of preaching that's foolish. I mean, foolish to the world, foolishness to the world. I mean, God's wisdom to use preaching is actually that preaching actually connects people through the message of God and builds community among the believers. 
And that preaching proved to be a stumbling block for the Jews who were searching for a sign. And it was also uh, considered foolishness to the Greeks who were looking for that wisdom. And uh, in addition, the message of the cross was considered to be messy. It was, it was bloody and it was considered to be shameful. And it, that seemed odd to me because I'm only familiar with the cross as a symbol of Jesus. But for them, it they were familiar with it as how you sentence criminals to death. So it was difficult for them to see the beauty in Christ's sacrifice and how death could bring about the greatest of victories. Uh, and so uh, in verses 27 through 28, it says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. So the, the preaching of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, this, this full message brings the full display and power of God's wisdom. And it also, through Jesus Christ, I mean, we have wisdom, we have righteousness, we have sanctification, we have redemption, we have forgiveness, we have all of these things. Absolutely. And um, at this point, we now begin to transition into chapter two, where Paul continues to really drive home some of these key points. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, uh, for I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Uh, so again, just reiterating that division is not the point of this church. All that matters is Jesus and his sacrifice. And it kind of like we spoke earlier, if in verse 112, that I of Christ, if that's not Paul saying that he is of Christ, here he is certainly stating that this is, this is where he stands. Right. <laughs> and in verse 4, it says, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So again, Paul is referring to the preaching being without man's wisdom because his preaching is an expression of God's spirit and power, and it is meant to install godly wisdom into the hearers of those which will surpass the wisdom of man, and that builds the faith of the people creating that community and should be creating the unity. And then with this, too, Paul is beginning to create a line. You have man's wisdom and God's. These are two completely different things and don't reconcile each other. So Paul then begins to expand on this idea to really introduce what it means to be filled with God's spirit. Uh, so starting with verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the word which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So Paul's continually developing this line that, that you're talking about, uh, establishing where that source of wisdom comes from. God's wisdom comes being, from being filled with the Holy Ghost or the Spirit of God, whereas the natural uh, wisdom comes from being filled with the Spirit of the world. So he, that is of the world cannot understand the wisdom of God. And without the infilling and the teaching of the Holy Ghost, you're never going to have that understanding. He concludes that those that are filled with God's Spirit 
will continue to walk in that godly wisdom and become something more than what they could otherwise. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 15 and 16, it says, But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Yeah, so in this, yeah, so to have that mind of Christ is to be filled with God's spirit, be taught God's wisdom by the Holy Ghost, and to be judged by Jesus and not by man. So this, this envy, this strife, this division, all speaks to spiritual immaturity. And Paul says in the third chapter, in the first verse, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as babes in Christ. For I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hereto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. So to be carnal basically means to be walking in the ways of men, walking in the ways of the world, and not in the way of God. And that carnal man is not capable of understanding the meaning of the cross and is not capable of applying the lessons that we learn from the cross into their lives and to appropriate it to the church. And these ministers, uh, Paul and Apollos, they came to Corinth working together for the same purpose, which was God's purpose, not their own. And Paul uses agriculture as a metaphor to train express and, and, and display this idea. So uh, 1 Corinthians 3 and 6, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. The key point here being God provides the increase. So if you follow after God and, and don't succumb to, to this hero worship, God will provide that increase because they're co-workers. They're not rivals. They're, they're ministers. And they in and of themselves are not the important thing, thing here. It's God that's important. The message is more important than the messenger. And these ministers are, you know, as Paul continues, begins to compare them as builders, him and Apollos, uh, each one working uh, to build this church for God's glory. Paul having, as we've already mentioned, established the church, laid the foundation which was and should remain Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians 3.11, for other foundations can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul also references that there will be a trial by fire where everyone's works will be tried. Uh, now this not only speaks to all the ministers who helped build the Corinthian church, but also each individual who has ever served the Lord. Um, everyone who has labored and is a member of the church or the body of Christ. Um, and that even includes us today. Uh, so uh, starting with verse 13, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now the works fit into two different categories. The first category are the things that are combustible or can be burned. So these are wood, hay, and stubble. These could be things that are carnal because they would be consumed by the fire. 
The second things are non-combustible. Uh, these are gold, silver, and precious stones. Uh, these can be considered spiritual because these things would not burn, but rather they would actually be purified by that fire. So Paul continues talking about this building upon the foundation of Jesus Christ as the temple of God. I mean, this is where God meets with man and has fellowship with him in order to establish holiness in creation. And, and we even see that, you know, if we want to look at it this way, all the way back at the beginning, God created the world so as a temple so that he could meet with man and have fellowship with him. And then man, whoops, made a mistake. Right? Caused mm -hmm. all kinds of chaos, destroyed uh, the works and the temple that God had made. So then God wanted to reestablish that relationship. So then he reached out through Moses to give a type and a foreshadow to create a temple or, and a, or, or a tabernacle. And that tabernacle was designed for a place for him to meet with man and have fellowship with him and to create holiness on the earth. And so now, after we have this new covenant and this new, uh, new covenant with uh, the Lord, here is Paul liking this unto a building, the foundation of Jesus Christ, building this church. And he says this in the scriptures because it needs to be a place of purification and unity and holiness and not be a place of envy and division and strife because that is like the world. So he says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, meaning the church is the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. The Spirit of God should dwell in the church. And if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple are ye? And every temple that we just kind of mentioned, man kind of destroyed, and God, there was a repercussion for how they, uh, because of their actions. But the church is made up of individuals, and as will Paul expresses later on in the letter that, you know, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Uh, Paul addresses that later, but here he's talking about this temple beating the meeting place, the church, where God can have fellowship uh, with man. There's and this bringing in this carnality, sorry, no, is what is destroying the church. It's what's yep. destroying the Corinthian church. It's what is causing you know, him to, to express this, that if you're going to destroy this because of this division among you, watch out because God will destroy you. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's that. Uh, and then there is this, this, there's further warning too, because absolutely there's, there's this, uh, a, a corruption essentially. Yeah. And then Paul goes on further to warn them also don't be deceived by that wisdom of the world, because it sounds good. It makes sense to the carnal mind. Um, it, it, but it's, it's like still against the things of the Lord. And in this instance, it's part of that corruption that is leading to this disunity. So First uh, Corinthians uh, 3 and 18 says, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in the world, in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. And the wisdom of God, of course, we know it passes all the understanding of man. His ways, his thoughts are so much higher than ours. And God knows that our thoughts and the thoughts of men are vain. And as he's already mentioned, or we have mentioned, that we need to have the mind of Christ. 
Um, at this point, we, we transition over into chapter four, and uh, Paul then begins to um, kind of position him and Apollo uh, to be used as examples throughout uh, the better part of the chapter. Um, and just in verse one, let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And skipping down to verse four, for I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. And again, we, we kind of see Paul bring back some sarcasm here, <laughs> uh, reminding the people of their gains or from where they had come from, and that if it weren't for the blessings that they received from the Lord, they wouldn't have anything to compare uh, each other to. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 7, For who maketh thee to differ from another? What hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory, as if thou hadst not received it? Now ye are full, now ye are rich. Ye have reigned as kings without us, and I would to God ye did reign, that we also might reign with you. And uh, after Paul kind of <laughs> points out, like, hey, y'all are doing, doing all right for yourselves, <laughs> um, he uh uses himself and the other uh, apostles as an object lesson to, uh, again, really further illustrate um, where man's wisdom fails in comparison to God's. Um, and so uh, in verse 11, even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat, we are made as the filth of the world and are the offscouring of all things unto this day. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. So again, an, another warning there. And... Um, Really, what, what this for me reminded me of was Matthew 20 says, so the last shall be first and the first shall be last. When he's talking about, you know, this is sort of, we're talking about being reviled and, and, you know, these are all horrendous things. And this is what the apostles are suffering as compared to, you know, the richness that was being described of for the members of the church. And that, that really just highlights the difference here between that worldly and godly wisdom, because to compare one man against the other and to consider yourself above one another, that is very much the way of the world. And I think it was Jesus when, you know, well, he called John and me sons of thunder. You are not to compare yourselves to the, I, I always go back to the, the Easter play lines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and, um, you know, it's the same thing because they can't agree on who their favorite preacher is. And they're literally telling, tearing themselves apart over it. And, uh, here you have, they are emulating the, the world, this same world that is reviling these apostles that they can't agree on who's the best one. It just doesn't make any sense. And you can really see where once you're filled with that spirit and you have that godly wisdom, it, it just doesn't, the two cannot be reconciled. The church should not emulate the world. Absolutely. The church should be different mm -hmm. uh, than the world. So Paul pretty much wraps up uh, chapter four with a promise and a question. So there are many teachers of Christ, but Paul is saying, hey, I'm like a father to the Corinthians here because I, I planted this church and he encourages them to follow after him as he follows Christ. He says, I'm going to send Timothy to you guys to remind you 
of my ways and how I am following after Christ. And, how, and he basically says, and I am preaching the same thing to every church or to everyone. And uh, he, he does shortly plan to come and visit them. And he's planning on coming in the apostolic authority that he has through the Lord. But the question he leaves them with in 1 Corinthians 4, 21, what will you, what will you? Shall I come with you with a rod or in love? and in the spirit of weakness. So how do you want me to come? You know, I, I want him, if he was, if he was asking me, I prefer love and a little spirit of meekness. Cause I can imagine Paul to come down with a rod and uh, he had pretty hard, but uh, that kind of wraps up our study here tonight. And hopefully something, uh, something that was said will actually encourage you to want to study this further on your own. I mean, the, the the biggest point that we're trying to make here, I think Paul is trying to make here, is the way we act in church should not be the same way that everybody else acts in the world, and it should be different. Um, so again, hopefully something encouraged you. I know Paul's writing sometimes can be difficult to follow and difficult to understand, and it takes a little bit more time and energy, but it's it's rich in the things of the Lord, and so we'd encourage you to continue your study. Stay, uh, stay tuned for next week. We're going to continue this study in Corinthians, looking at chapters 5 and 6, and looking forward to that great study as we continue the study of 1 Corinthians. So thank you so much. Again, for tuning in with us, we're going to go before the Lord in prayer, asking God, Lord, let some of these words be ministered into my heart. It's it's not about, you know, I prefer this style or I, I, I like this uh, type of speaking or that, you know, it's it's about the Lord. It's about is the message about Jesus Christ and him crucified? Is the message exalting the name of the Lord? Is it glorifying God? And if it is, then I should be able to receive it regardless if I like this style or that style. It's, and I need to stay away from, well, this guy's better than this guy because he's this or that. And it needs to be about the message and about the words of Jesus. So thank you so much for tuning in with us. God bless you. We're going to ask Corey to take us before the Lord in prayer. Send in those prayer requests to prayer at mousesthouse.org, and we'll certainly ask God to minister into your lives tonight. Oh, Corey. Dear Jesus, Lord, we thank you, Master, for this time that you've given us, Lord, that we might, Lord, that we might just talk about the good things of you, dear Lord. Pray, Lord, that you would let these words sink into our hearts, oh Lord. Lord, that we would Lord, that we would seek that your your wisdom, Lord, that your spirit, Lord, that your Holy Ghost, Lord, would fill our lives, Lord, that would teach us, Lord, the things, Lord, that you would grant unto us your wisdom, Lord, that is freely given, Lord. Lord, that our, our lives, that our actions, Lord, might reflect, Lord, that that is a, a life lived for you, Lord, Lord, a heart and a mind that is filled with your wisdom, Lord, Lord, and that we would live a life, Lord, in the church and out of the church, Lord, as one that is, Lord, of your children, dear Jesus. And we just pray, Lord, that you would touch all the, the lives, Lord, all the hearts and minds, Lord, that are out there hearing this, Lord, that you would minister to the needs out there, O oh Lord. And we ask, Lord, a special blessing for our shepherd, Lord, and his family, Lord. Just pray, Lord, that you would gather your children together, Lord, and that you would touch and bless and move, O oh Lord, as only you can, Lord, and as only you would, dear Jesus. We just thank you. We praise you. We lift you up. And in your most precious and holy name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you very much. Good night. Thank you.